Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was booted! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It is the top of the week as we continue our march toward 2022. So much stuff is going on in the news. The trial of Ghislaine Maxwell has uh, reached a new milestone as... The court tries to pick jurors that don't seem biased, which is going to be a tall milkshake. Uh, most interestingly, perhaps defendants or co-defendants have been published. They include things like the Weinstein Company and Walt Disney, a lot of other people. You, it's available online. You can read it now. But we're holding on an update for that until we get more information and maybe see what the trial shakes loose, if it is indeed an actual trial, and not a very wealthy kangaroo court. But for now, for anyone who's paying attention to news, things are things are looking fragile, folks. They always have been kind of a house of cards, but now we're seeing great growing unrest that was predicted in countries across the world, places like Chile, uh, places like Eastern Europe, Central Europe. The United States. And the United States, spoiler alert, stay tuned for the entirety of this segment. We're also we're also going to see something that uh, something is causing experts in the world of online activity to say, hey, maybe people are getting dumber uh, for now. Maybe we open up with a story of unrest from here in the good old U.S. of A. You guys, uh, have you ever been in a Louis Vuitton store? Yes, there's a really bougie mall here in Atlanta. Uh, is it Lennox or Phipps? One of it's them is Phipps. The other. Yeah, Phipps is the bougie one. Uh, they, have Louis, past one there. they have a Louis Vuitton store. I think I didn't go in because it was like uh, COVID times and it was they were limiting the... Um, and they were limiting how many people could be in there at once, but uh, I did walk past it and it sure looked fancy. Yeah, our office used to be right by those two malls, which are walking distance from one another. Lennox Mall, which has by far the better food court, and Phipps Mall, <laughs> which is very much for the upper class and doesn't have the best food court, which is mystifying to me. I guess uh, 
I guess the idea is that if you if you have the wherewithal financially to shop at a place like Phipps Plaza, then you are not the kind of person who enjoys a good greasy burger, which I, I feel like is an unfair stereotype. But they do have some really expensive food over there, though. They do. They do. They have some unnecessarily fancy restaurants uh, and, and weird themes to them as well. Maybe there's an eyes wide shut kind of vibe that we just weren't getting when we were a bunch of like broke video uh, makers. <laughs> so this, I think you're right. So uh, another store that's kind of fancy or to some, I don't know. I don't know. Is Nordstrom a fancy store? Where is it in like the hierarchy of department stores? medium I think and then there's also Nordstrom Rack which I think is like the more like um, middle class facing version of Nordstrom maybe okay. no, Nordstrom's like one of those legacy New York kind of Fifth Avenue you know department store that's how I think of it but I, I'm not really sure it's just like fancier Macy's I think can I say this I hmm. went into a Macy's to buy some clothes recently for a thing and I didn't realize that it was all these big expensive brands that filled Macy's when it comes to clothing. For some reason in my mind, it was like shopping at any other, I don't know. Gosh, I, I just realized I don't spend enough money maybe on clothes. I don't know I've never seen more expensive clothing in my life at, than at that Macy's. And then I was told by a friend that that's like on the cheap side. So now I just don't know what to think guys. Oh, did, did you get a suit? I got some parts of a suit. Nice, man. Nice. Uh, yeah, it, it's strange because also the era of brick and mortar department stores has, has been on the decline for a while with the rise of online shopping exacerbated by the rise of COVID. Here's what's going on. Looting. Looting is happening en masse. It's not getting a ton of reporting, which is kind of odd because it is red meat for the sort of mainstream news that makes money by telling people the sky is falling and the world is ending uh, one way or another. Just a few days ago, uh, this Nordstrom store in Walnut Creek, California, encountered a kind of shoplifting that had had not occurred before or since and probably wouldn't occur outside of an old school riot were it not for social media. Dozens and dozens of people, about 80 people, rushed into this store in Walnut Creek and robbed everything that wasn't tied down. One employee was pepper sprayed, two others were punched, kicked, subdued. All of those folks, all three of those folks have minor injuries, and thankfully no one was killed. But the suspects were attacking the store as an organized group, and law enforcement isn't sure how this happened. But think about this. This is cinematic. 25 cars or so blocked the street and ran interference while a crowd of almost 100 people ran into the same store. Think about how understaffed stores are now. There's no way for people to stop them. Even if you are one of the security folks and you're the best person, you're like the Captain America of department store security, you have no chance against 80 people. In fact, also, many corporations have laws that prevent uh, these security guards from physically engaging with a shoplifter or something, right? Uh, so we have video from the scene thanks to the good efforts of Jody Hernandez. And Jody Hernandez is a journalist in the area. She found that of these 80 people who were in ski masks, who were carrying crowbars, etc., uh, three managed to be arrested. Uh, and that is a terrible rate of <laughs> rate of success for law enforcement. I wanted to bring this story to everyone because it tells us uh, some pretty fascinating things. First, it was clearly coordinated. This is like this is crowdsourcing, like the improv everywhere people, except instead of doing a cutesy, seemingly spontaneous dance party, they have <laughs> they have like gone on TikTok or Telegram or Signal or what have probably not Facebook, because Facebook is so hilariously compromised. Facebook is an op at this point, but they've probably been on TikTok or something like that planning to pull this off. So we've got short staffing, we've got social media allowing for this kind of planning, and then add to that, because of concerns about supply chains, these brick and mortar stores, these physical locations 
are trying to amass more inventory than they usually would have, right? So they want they want to get ahead of possible shortages as the holidays loom closer and closer. So this means it's the perfect time to commit a crime like this. And we're not condoning it. I don't think any of us are, but we are saying the timing couldn't have worked out better. Had you guys heard about this before we talked about it on air? Nope. No? I just heard about it looking through the news this morning. Uh, seems pretty intense. I've heard of things kind of like this before that, yeah. that we've like talked about just in, in amongst the three of us, but uh, this seems like a whole operation that you could make like a TV series about kind of thing. Oh, and this yeah. isn't tied to any like opportunism around like riots or unrest or anything. This is just nope. like its own thing. No ties to Ahmed Arbery, no ties to the Rittenhouse decision. This did not occur in a vacuum, though, because there were other lootings uh, the Friday night before in Union Square, another crowd attack, uh, and other areas of San Francisco. A Louis Vuitton store got hit, a Burberry store, a jewelry store, a Walgreens, an eyeglass shop for some reason, a Bloomingdale's, and even cannabis dispensaries. And I understand there's money there, and I understand there's marijuana there, but also, as one of the employees doubtlessly said, like, think about the karma, dude. What are you doing? We're, we're you know, we're not the man. We're not the power structure. But they still got, they still got got. They got hit. And they, when they got rolled, the people responsible for these crimes uh, made off for the most part. Hashtag no Bernie. What I'm saying is they got away. And this this is something that I think the U.S. will see more of in the future. In response, law enforcement in the area is uh, pledging to, quote, flood the street with cops. So there are going to be more police out there, but they're out there after the fact. And so what I what I first before we get into a thought experiment, I have to mention that in San Francisco alone, Overall crime is up almost 52%. Larceny and theft is up almost 88% from last year. And we know that there are two big seasons for a lot of these kinds of crimes. When the holidays are on the way and people need to get gifts or they feel social pressure to do so. And uh, summer, when a lot of older kids are out, right? And they're out of school and they've got more free time. But with this, I propose that the three of us and you there at home have a bit of a thought experiment. <laughs> and it's similar to something we had thought about several months ago, I think. Time is odd. Uh, this, Let's say we're planning a crime like this. We're not, to anybody in our legal department listening. <laughs> but let's say, let's say we're planning a crime like this, and we crowdsource uh, through some, some online forum hopefully using proxies to hide our identities, uh, the idea that we're going to get together, we're going to hit up FIPS or we're going to hit up Linux. And we do so. And most of us get away, right? Uh, and then the police presence is now being increasingly prioritized in Buckhead. What have we done? I, I, our next move, if we continue this caper, is to hit someplace far away from Buckhead, right? Follow Georgia, baby. Yeah. Hey. Mm. Disney <laughs> right. store. Yep. The Fort oh, Knox yeah, yeah. of Atlanta, the mall of Georgia. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It's funny you mentioned yeah. the summer situation. I, I, think, mm. I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast before or not, but um, over the 4th of July weekend, I went to a get together at uh, our buddy Alex's uh, girlfriend's family's place and came back and, uh, you know, I'd been drinking and stuff and went to play my Nintendo Switch later that night and my controller wouldn't connect. And I all of a sudden realized, oh, my controller won't connect because because the switch and the dock and the power supply and everything are gone. Um, and it was the only thing that was stolen. My daughter's room was kind of rifled through, but it clearly was the kind of crime that like, you know, kids on bikes looking to just kind of like smash and grab or like, you know, just check doors and take whatever they could carry uh, were after. Um, and it was a really weird feeling. I, I, I felt, you know, especially after noticing that my kid's room had been rifled through, but nothing else was stolen. And I have a whole room, you know, my house was full of like, you know, thousands of dollars worth of equipment for recording and music and stuff. And they didn't even go in there, but um, clearly was a crime of opportunity. Yeah. And conversely, or in contrast, these are crimes uh, that are premeditated, right? Those kids may have been on bikes saying, let's see if there are any houses without cars in the driveway, right? That's right. Exactly. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think the fact that it was Fourth of July and they knew that a lot of people were off, you know, traveling or like at parties or something was what created the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And in this case, what we're seeing is a incredibly effective tactic. This has been employed in other parts of the world before without social media. In fact, um, in in Europe, I believe some segments of the population have been accused of engaging in this tactic pretty often. And it ties into, to be candid with you, it ties into uh, discrimination against the Roma population of various countries who are said to go en masse into some kind of store that usually has one to two maybe three employees, and just absolutely crowd bomb it. So you can't keep track of what everybody is doing, much less stop one person amid that crowd. It's kind of like that earlier example of could Travis Scott or could any entertainer isolate one person in a crowd of 50,000, you know, on a, on a smaller level. So this is a very successful strategy, which means it's going to be used again. It's also occurred in Illinois, in Oak Brook. There were people who swarmed another Louis Vuitton store. And we know that there was preparation because they came with the right kit for the job. They had garbage bags and their coats. They had their identities concealed with a balaclava or a, um, or a ski mask, I guess you would call it here. Uh, and they came with the tools they needed to open the, open the containers holding the high-value stuff. What this means now is that this presents a danger, not just to you if you work at these places, not just to you if you live in the neighborhood, but it presents a danger to you if you live in these cities because this could be also used as a pretext to further uh, further militarize the police force in your neck of the woods, which I know sounds like a distant concern. And people may say, well, this is a necessary thing. Police are supposed to stop robberies and things like this. But what happens when there is a group of 80 to 100 people who look like they could be anyone because of their disguises, and you're someone who is in the area, then you kind of become a suspect. It's it's unfair to everyone involved. But um, this also, I think, maybe leads us to some philosophical points. What do you guys think? Well, yeah, for me, I think we're going to see a lot more of this as yeah. as the divide continues to widen between those who are able to go and drop a ton of money at a mall and those who are not or likely will never be able to do that and you know within any short term future and as a society as a culture just through popular culture we are doing that to ourselves you know we think about the television shows the movies everything not everything but most things that exist for consumption that are very popular it you know involve clothing like this involve watches and other just material things that exist on characters and are part of a character, even in reality TV shows. Uh, it's like the thing to have if you're going to have status. And if you cannot achieve those things or get those things by normal means, then why not resort to something like this? Yeah, I mean, all these things are like signifiers of this class and status and this, that as those, you know, two poles become farther and farther apart. It becomes kind of a stand in for a, a, a widening discontentedness. You know, I mean, it, it, I think it's deeper than just wanting the stuff. It's a way of like lashing out. I mean, to me, these are the kind of signifiers of what you might see in the climate leading to an uprising. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like where people are truly unhappy and, and they're seeing this divide between the super rich and the even just the middle class and let, let alone if you're actually, you know, quite poor or disenfranchised in some way or you've lost your job and never gotten back on your feet after the pandemic and all the while while others are just raking it in, you know, and kind of maybe not intending to, but rubbing it in your face in, in many ways. Um, yeah. I understand where that that it's a it's a form of kind of hurt, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. I really do. I think we all see it, even if we're very um, 
lucky to have the jobs that we have, you know, there is this American ideal of kind of always wanting more and always wanting the next thing and not mm-hmm. ever having enough be enough. And that's a product of the the narratives we're fed with reality TV, like you're saying, Matt, and now more so with social media and just seeing everyone oversharing, especially celebrity types and folks with like just way too much money. And you start to be like, well, I deserve that. I should have that. Why uh, shouldn't I have that? Yeah. Um, and then yeah. I think for some, it causes them to lash out. Sure. Yeah. Like I was, I was saying earlier, I can't remember why I was saying this, but it's the coupons, baby. Who has the most coupons? How many coupons can you widgets. get before you die? Yeah. Yeah. How many coupons? Oh, ooh, ooh, wait, let me get the name brand thing. Whatever. The, I mean, you make it, you guys are making really good points and I would like to end with a, with a message, uh, with a twofold message. First, uh, to the folks who hear about stories like this and agree with our prediction that these will only continue in the future, uh, I would want to caution you from being misled by bad actors in mainstream media. Uh, This is red meat for folks who want to delegitimize various protests. And many protests have occurred over this time. Um, When you hear about uh, looting, during like a, a Black Lives Matter rally or something, you have to ask yourself, were those actually conscientious protesters who suddenly decided to break in someplace for a scarf? Or was this organized crime seeing a tremendous opportunity? I advance to you that it was the latter much more often than the former. Ben, I couldn't agree with you more. I recently had a a private DM chat with a listener who I posted something, you know, a a, a political opinion about the the Kyle Rittenhouse outcome. uh, And somebody um, had a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to that and said, oh, all these Black Lives Matter protesters are just a bunch of opportunists and this, that, and the other. And, you know, it, it disgusts me where I live. I just see them, like, literally, you know, moving in on targets and, and all of these shopping centers and just literally you know, disrupting people's lives and commerce and just throwing bricks through windows and stealing stuff. And uh, I made the point to this individual that I think for the most part, uh, there may be some issues in leadership with BLM at times, but I think for the most part, he's talking about how they were paid. And I'm like, well, what's more likely that they were paid by Black Lives Matter or by the opposition in an effort to just, you know, to delegitimize that movement um, and, and call attention to the bad actors who are maybe not even part of the movement at all. Yeah. And this, my second point, and this is the message that I that we need to end on. No, we're going long, and I want to thank everybody listening for your patience because what I'm about to say is mission critical here in many ways. If you're involved with these things, uh, if you are an opportunist, I know how exciting it can be to for any number of rationalizations. Say, hey, we're fighting the power. We're fighting these big evil corporations. We're fighting inequality. We're taking stuff back. But the people who are going to end up bearing the brunt of these actions, the consequences, uh, it, it goes way deeper than the, the three people who got popped out of 50 to 80 or whatever. What, what you will be doing results in red meat for the same organizations that you are attempting to fight against. It galvanizes them. It feeds them. It empowers them. It gives them the wherewithal, the causes belly, to further oppress people, to do worse things to people who have nothing to do with you, that you will never meet, just regular people. And ask yourself, you know, if it feels exciting to, if it feels exciting to skirt the on the wrong side of the law. I think everybody's done that a time or two. How would you feel if you like had to look in the face of the next person who was an elderly lady who dies because there was a kick door at the wrong address? How would you feel about that? Does the sweater still feel good? Do you like walking around in the boots? How's that PlayStation? Does it play the same? We're going to leave it there. And pause for a word from the sponsor. We'll be back with more strange news. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. 
It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And Ben, I think you made some excellent points in that last uh, story. It's obviously something that is very, very relevant to all of our lives and indicative of kind of like where we're going as a culture. Uh, unfortunately, um, another place that we're going as a culture is uh, in the direction of uh, being kind of dumb. <laughs> that I think that follows suit to that story, but also uh, in terms of just guarding our own personal data. Uh, it seems like a day doesn't go by where we don't hear about some giant hack of some corporation, you know, with all of all of this uh, 
uh, um, personal information being compromised or financial information or whatever. Uh, you think after all of that, all of those news stories, all of these conversations about Russian hacking and, you know, us being target of, of, of international um, infiltration you know, to, to steal our identities or whatever. Um, the people would be a little more clever with their passwords, you know, use like two factor authentication, um, use one of those password wallets, etc. Um, but unfortunately that doesn't seem to be the case. And full disclosure, the study that I'm about to reference is in fact from, or, or was financed by a password wallet company, a company called uh, NordPass. Um, which is very much, you know, it's a service where you can uh, have them create strong passwords, have them generate new passwords on the regular where you use like a master password to keep your password wallet, everything kind of safe. Um, but they did, in fact, they have for, for quite a few years running, uh, been coming out with this list of the most common passwords and the list for 2021 quite closely resembles the list for 2020 with the number one most popular password. Uh, in all countries, um, being one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, in in their in their results, the data they actually have uh, a, a column of the, the ranking, the password, how long it took to crack it, and then how many uh, in their in their study or their their analysis, how many there were um, of one, two, three, four, five, six. It took them less than a second to crack it, and there are one hundred and three million one hundred and seventy thousand five hundred and fifty two people that think one, two, three, four, five, six is a good one. Second, only to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, which also took less than a second to crack. Uh, the number goes down quite a bit to 46 million and some change. Then you have one, two, three, four, five, uh, followed by QWERTY, password, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, 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 uh, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. There you go. Still, all of these take less than a second to crack. Uh, and then they start getting a little more interesting as you go down the list. Um, you know, things like swears are very popular. Uh, first names with no numbers are very popular. Um, things like one, two, three, four, five, six, Q, you know. I'm surprised I'm not seeing any like asterisks in any of this or any like ASCII, you know, like, I mean, I try to always have, you know, all of the hallmarks of a, of a strong password in my password. It's like a, a, a capital letter, some sort of uh, non-numeric symbol, uh, a number, you know, and in a mix of, of letters and numbers. Um, Liverpool is number 121. I love you. One is number 122. You got things like Michelle. Uh, funny enough, first names take longer to crack for obvious reasons, because I guess sure. you just go through obvious first names. So Michelle took three hours to crack. There's 923,000 Michelles. Uh, Andrew, but weirdly, Andrew only took two minutes to crack. I'm a little confused about that metric. Because if, if it's a brute force hack, it starts on A. Oh, there you go. Thank you, Ben. Nailed it. All but right. the, there's, there's something really interesting before you go. I've got to say, I love this image, Noel. Of uh, somebody doing one, two, three, four, five, six, right? And that's that's number one on the list. It's easily cracked. But I love the idea that one through nine is somehow more difficult. Like someone's cracking the code, they get to one, two, three, four, five, six, and they're like, that doesn't work. And they're like, that's it. I don't know. There's no there's no bigger number. What's the exactly. what's the next bigger number? Like that old Mr. Shoke sketch. <laughs> exactly. Like, they can't think of it. They're like, surely this one's plus. one louder. This one's yeah. one bigger. Um, Can I just say how much I love the password that is QWERTY UIOP? Because it, theoretically, if you were going to enter that password, <laughs> let's say yeah. to open your computer, you would just run your line, if you have a QWERTY keyboard, across one section of your keyboard and it would open your machine. It's pretty totally. amazing. No, there's some wacky ones in here. So if you go to Austria, this is a neat study because you can go through. And look at them um, by country. And so, of course, depending on the different countries, you get different like kind of pop cultural touchstones and things like that. One thing that I found really interesting is in Australia, number 26 is MySpace and the numeral one, uh, which took three hours to crack. And there are 19,247 MySpace ones. Um, didn't think MySpace was still in play, but maybe it's a different, different deal in Australia. Um, Ooh. but it's, it's a, it's a thing. People are being not particularly good stewards of their data and of their personal information. It would seem this whole study was funded by, uh, NordPass, but it was, uh, compiled in partnership with independent researchers that specialize in cybersecurity research. Vice has a great article about it. Um, they looked at four terabytes of data, um, across 50 different countries countries 
And this is the third year that they've done the research. Uh, and again, you can also see it broken down into individual countries. Uh, Patricia Cerniaskate, excuse me for butchering that. It's a tricky one. Um, who's a spokesperson for NordPass had this to say uh, to Vice. We honestly didn't expect to see so many cultural references in the country lists. So depending on the country, you would have, you know, references to the most popular sports teams. Um, so in the U.S., so you got Steelers, quite popular. In the U.K., you've got Liverpool. Uh, in Chile, you've got Colo Colo. And in Brazil, Nacional, uh, Sparta in the Czech Republic, uh, Marseille in France, and Schalke 04 in Germany. Uh, and then also in Greece, you have Olympiakos. Um, also lots of beverage names like Guinness in Ireland, um, and then some religious, um, password as well. In Nigeria, Christ was very popular and Saudi Arabia, Bismillah topped the list. Um, so yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, let's see, um, the, the spokesperson for Nord, uh, pass also had this to say for the first time ever. Eminem has entered the list and speculation in this Vice article was this some sort of millennial revenge for Gen Z TikTokers trying to cancel Eminem, which is an icon that they grew up with. They're trying to like keep him alive in a word that no one will ever see in spirit, I suppose. Uh, Naruto and Superman and Pokemon were also popular choices. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, and of course, you know, if you go to the list and see, God forbid, one of your passwords is on there, I would uh, change that bad boy right away and maybe consider subscribing to NordPass, uh, who are not sponsoring this episode. So far as we know. So far as we know. Uh, but mm. what do you guys think? I mean, you know, as mm. part being part of a big company like we are, we are literally forced to change our password regularly. Um, and, it, and it can't res- it can't be the same as the last like five we've had. So inevitably, what a lot of people probably end up doing is just adding a numeral at the end mm-hmm. or, or upping the numeral by one digit at the end because it gets a little ridiculous. It starts to become very unwieldy to remember sure. all these passwords, uh, especially if you're using one for work, you're using one for your personal emails. Maybe you have you know, bank accounts and uh, mm-hmm. crypto accounts and wallets and things like that. You start getting into password overload. So I understand the malaise around it a little bit, but not to the degree of some of these in the top 25 that I'm seeing. I mean, top number 20, 25 overall is nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. And before that is six, 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 six. So to go back to the question you had asked, um, I can't speak for anyone but myself here. Uh, one of the easiest ways to guard against this is first, like Matt said, to have a, a more secure password, but secondly, to practice things like two-factor uh, authentication, which can feel like a pain in the keister, you know, because you have to have your phone with you or some, you know, other channel of communication. And also that's uh, something that not everybody has, but it's an important and a relatively painless way to circumvent a lot of these problems. And that's why you'll only see two-factor authentication um, exploding more in the future. You'll also see biometric identification, like, hey, it doesn't matter how complex this string of text you know is, we need your fingerprint, let me get a look at that eyeball, that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff, Um, which personally I'm not the biggest fan of. I understand when it needs to be used in things like military applications or very sensitive uh, intellectual property kind of stuff. But uh, for this, like if you're going on Facebook or what have you, um, then just just have it set up to send you a text so you can prove that you are who you are. And that should stop a lot of hacking. Ben, I imagine you're not a uh, iPhone user who uses the face ID. I don't care for it. And I understand why, not just over speculate, but maybe in your thinking, this is not military grade, <laughs> you know, like it's a new feature. It seems like maybe it hasn't quite, uh, you know, met the same rigor as, as what they've been using, you know, in like spy movies for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, Apple might argue otherwise, but is that your thinking or does it just kind of make you uncomfortable? Yeah, I mean, I to be completely, completely fair, I do not think that anyone cares what my face in particular looks like when I open an iPhone. However, I also don't like the idea of all the dopey faces that I might be making when I'm reading stuff. You know what I mean? Think about when you read on the phone. The angle is terrible. It's right up your nose. Everybody, like if the NSA is looking, they know all your boogers. 
And and this is so it's for much uh, much more vain, uh, much more petty reasons on my part. Though I do acknowledge uh, there is there is a danger that comes along with pervasive facial recognition, just as there is convenience. Well, that's, I mean, that's I, t- I I don't want to get beat up, shot, or stabbed, and have my assailant pick up my phone and just go. And then oh, now yeah. they're in my phone. <laughs> I that's mean, a good that's point too, Matt. Up. That's yeah, a really good point. Is. That's like. The whole, like, for me, that's the whole point of facial recognition. Well, somebody could get hurt and you can still open their phone. But you see that in spy movies too, man, where someone gets like their throat slit and then, or they they literally rip their eyeball out and stick it up to the uh, eyeball scanner, or they drag the body up and hold the face up. I mean, that's a really good point. In this case, it's literally you're on the ground, somebody holds your phone by your face and it's open and they've got everything. I don't know. Whatever. I didn't even think about that. I, you're, you're really causing me to rethink uh, <laughs> my use of, of biometric um, recognition for my device. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I wanted to talk about demographics, you guys. Age demographics across the world. And when yeah. I'm thinking, when thinking about these passwords, I'm I'm looking at Statista. I think that's how you say it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm, it's wrong. Mm-hmm, but yeah. uh, just that. In North America, in I think Europe, and a couple other places, you look at the over 65 population and the under 15 population, and I'm imagining a lot of those groups, and in North America, that would be 17% on the older side, about 18% on the younger side, and I'm wondering if those demographics maybe line up with some of these easier passwords to remember, or repeated passwords, or even when you get Pokemon and some of the other uh, like really popular things like Spider-Man showing up in, in passwords. Yeah, for dudes, you've got a lot of people using Metallica and Slipknot. And apparently the most popular band name over the past three years, especially in Australia and Canada and Ireland, is Blink-182. I guess because in their minds, you got a word and you got some numbers, so you're already halfway there. Yeah. Add that symbol to the front of that, and mm-hmm. you technically have a strong password. <laughs> Maybe switch it up. Do like uh, Blink-41 and some 182. You know? Love it. Yeah, hit hit them with the plot twist, Shamal on it. I mean, this is only going to be more important, but also we have to remember the biometric information and and the facial recognition and all all that jazz, all the hits. That's going to be inevitably more common uh, for the average consumer over time, just because it feels more seamless. It feels like it's more secure. Uh, it's going to increasingly feel maybe and uh, a mark of antiquity to enter it like we're we're quickly entering into um a part of technological evolution where it'll seem old timey to use your hands and computer things like mm-hmm. i'm still i'm still fighting I, i'll say this i'm still fighting uh voice recognition technology being increasingly forced upon me and normalized in a very non-consensual way like you call a company right it could be a financial services company it could be a utility company and you can still in many cases access the touch tone menu but that menu is becoming increasingly more difficult to find just the way the sesame credits started off as an opt-in thing and then became a mandate Vocal recognition is becoming uh, a mandated technology and it's starting in the private industry, right? And so, like, I, I would love to hear from people who have complained to one of these businesses or asked for details about what they're doing with the audio data they're gathering from your voice. Uh, are you getting a cut of it? The answer is certainly not if they are selling it. And there's nothing to stop them from selling it in many, many cases. Yeah, even if we were getting a cut, like we did a, I forget what it was. It was it was maybe a year big ago. There was a you. story. Yeah, big data on you, but they boiled it down to a monetary figure, and it ended up being like fractions of a penny per use of your data. So it was like not even valuable to you, or at least at market rate. I'm I'm, I'm probably misremembering that a little bit, but um, it is wildly. All of it, uh, the, the the level of head in the sandness uh, of which I exhibit plenty. Even you, Matt, you really did just kind of like pull my head out of the sand when it comes to the biometric face stuff. But like, you know, I, mean, I know some people who are much more cautious about their cameras on their phones and on their computers. And I just don't give a shit. 
Um, but I probably should. But at the very least, I do have strong passwords. Uh, I have a handful of them, and I don't think any of them have been compromised yet. And I, you know, don't change them frequently. But I used to have one of those passport wallets back in the day. But even that got unwieldy, or I upgraded, and I don't remember exactly what happened. And I, I, I lost the, the the software, and I never looked back. But um, yeah, write in. Let us know. Do you use dumb passwords? Is this a wake up call for you, or do you just not really care? Um, let us know. Uh, write to us at conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Um, and in the meantime, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with one more piece of strange news. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. She's a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and last hour on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. 
and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back, and we're going to keep this short, but this is important. Just like that other podcast on our network, which is yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I didn't uh, know if that was a purposeful <laughs> reference, but yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I really love that show. Okay, um, I'm going to read to you from an Al Jazeera article that was recently posted as of today when we record this, November 22nd, 2021. In first, United States added to annual list of, quote, backsliding democracies. This is a report that was released by the International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance. Now, you will know just by that name. This is one of these organizations that we've mentioned in the past. Uh, Ben, it's an NGO. What are those? Those, Matt, are non-governmental organizations. Uh, It's also an umbrella term. It's a very vague phrase. Not all of them are created equally. Their association in the West generally is uh, something like these are not for-profit entities that are trying to make the world better in one specific way. However, not everybody shares that opinion and they aren't all not shady. Correct. Is that a fair definition? It's <laughs> fair as hell. So mm-hmm. um, this one in particular, you can go to idea.int. So that's their organization, then international. And you can learn about them. They have a slash about us page. You can read there. You can read all about the member states that exist within it, including their chair from Australia, their first vice chair from Barbados, and their second first vice chair from Germany. Um, you can learn all about what they do. It's This is what they say according to their website. They say that membership to this organization is, quote, open to governments which demonstrate by example in their own state their commitment to the rule of law, human rights, the basic principles of democratic pluralism, and strengthening democracy. Interesting stuff there. Mm-hmm. I do have to say, at least on their official website, I'm seeing countries like Belgium, Brazil... Chile, Mexico, India, Philippines, Peru, Panama, Norway, not seeing the United States, just putting that out there, not seeing the U.S. They don't seem to be a part of this organization. So this organization that does not have the United States within it, or at least as a member state, has said that the United States is backsliding. It is a backsliding democracy, as in it is deteriorating, things are happening, and it is being pushed more towards an authoritarian or hybrid state, as they would describe it. I think we could have told you that. Well, maybe that's the way it feels. To me, it perhaps feels that way a little bit personally, just when I look out at events and how things have been shaped and changed over the past, gosh, several decades that I've been paying attention. Sure. But um, to see it put out here in a report that is fairly extensive, if you read the entire thing that you can find on their website, um, it, it is a bit alarming. It it specifically points to 2019 and 2020 as being a flashpoint for a change that has begun to occur within the United States. Specifically, they're calling out the words and actions of President Donald Trump upon losing his second term election and having a sitting president who's on his way out questioning directly the results of a democratic election within a country, right? Within the country that that this president is serving. You know, that's maybe one thing, but it is also, it just, I'll read you this quote, kind of a... An alarming thing to have a president question the results of an election because then, it, it, you know, that makes everybody else question it. And this is not casting aspersions necessarily directly at President Trump. It's just that that occurrence, no matter who was in office or who was questioning the authority of the democratic process, would have eroded this like the core democracy of it all. 
Essentially. So, so much of so much of that core is based on following, you know, kind of protocols and following um, tradition, you know, and none of it's necessarily enforceable by law. It's just we just depend on people kind of carrying this legacy of like accepting the uh, results of an election and like, you know, being a good sport. Uh, but once you start having uh, someone who set in the precedent of well, actually maybe that we don't need to do that, then you start to see that backsliding. It feels like. Yeah, I've uh, is something. I've brought up over over the years, and it's something that's easy for people in the U.S. and really the global West to forget. It's that the most vulnerable time in any empire is uh, the time in which a transfer of power occurs. And you might be surprised how many countries don't get it right and how startlingly close they come to dissolution. Uh, the peaceful transfer of power is like the number one most vulnerable time. It is it is literally the equivalent of an animal's molting stage. It's very vulnerable. The skin is new. Will the core survive? And I don't think that's hyperbolic to phrase it this way. I know we're going to get probably, Matt, we're, we're going to get to the writing of John uh, Bago or Bagot Glub, the guy who put a time limit or proposed an expiration date for empires, right? 250 years, guy? You talk yeah, about that? <laughs> we can. I mean, we've already talked about that on, on this That's segment true. within our show. That's true. That's true. So maybe we refer back to that. And instead we say that this is this perceived thing, American exceptionalism as an ideology aside, this perceived um, danger. If it is a thing that is happening, if this NGO is right, then they are also inherently uh, seeing it at a macrocosmic level. There are other things happening in countries, and they're similar. Uh, like Chile is currently in a runoff, uh, and one of the lead contenders is um, another Bolsonaro. You know, and uh, that is the current uh, leader of Brazil. There is a far right resurgence and it's been going on for a while we talked about it in the past isn't there a connection too with um the COVID 19 pandemic and that's just also something you kind of see historically like a big upset a big you know kind of inciting event is oftentimes when an authoritarian regime can kind of grab the reins a little bit well yeah it's also when you can most clearly see Justify. the discontent of right. the of people who live within a state that is maybe slipping right a yeah. little bit well there's unrest what better time to rob the nordstroms of democracy you know what i mean see it's all my god it's all coming <laughs> together um also we have so, a full episode on empire's expiration dates so we do, do. Check them. we do uh, and and uh, this is just to point out this one specific report and it is also not to say that just the united states is in this boat and is you know backsliding into some other form of government non-democratic. Uh, you can read through the report. You can see Hungary, Poland, Slovenia as places that are backsliding, established democracies that are having issues. You can uh, look at a few countries that, according to this NGO, are actually improving, like Ukraine and North Macedonia. However, Ukraine is like, as we record this, appears to be dealing with some stuff with Russia again. Oh, we'll see yeah. what happens if these Ooh. intelligence reports actually pan out. Uh, into something terrible or not. Um, other places like Turkey, Nicaragua, Poland, Serbia, Brazil were rated as having the, quote, most significant democratic declines over the last decade. Um, I can't urge you enough to actually head on over and read the report. You can get it online. It's free. You can look at the entire thing. Uh, just check it out the way it's divided up to you can select regions and different mm -hmm. attributes like representative mm -hmm. government, fundamental rights, checks on government. These are like their, I guess, bellwethers for, you know, how they're measuring whether this yeah. is backsliding. Yep. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's really good work. Um, you know, there are going to be people who say that it has inherent biases. Most works of humanity do. I, I don't know why that's like some sort of news or surprise. Uh, but sometimes that's a bad faith reaction too, because 
not everybody agrees on the idea that democracy is necessarily a good thing. There are a lot of people who think democracy is it's sold to other countries is really a Trojan horse for resource extraction. And as much as I hate to admit it, mm -hmm. there is validity in that claim. And then, of course, there are other people who say uh, fascism got a bad name and should get a, you know, let's do it right this time. I don't agree Eesh. with those folks. But those are those different viewpoints. It's important to say that not everybody agrees on the idea of democracy being the best thing since sliced bread. Or what's that other quotation? Um, the least worst or the best worst form of government. Uh, the reason it's important is that this, in theory, when democracy works, it gives you the right to have a problem without being black bagged and disappeared. It gives you the right to show up and publicly, as long as you're not trying to harm people, say stuff like, like it's so weird. You'll see protests over like a, a, a reboot of a fantasy series that people don't like. And they, we don't like how they change this, that, or the third about the characters. We're going to protest the studio. And then you'll see other people who are protesting political decisions. You can't do that in every country. Like, people forget how powerful that is. I, like, look at, and this is not to be xenophobic. This is certainly not to be nationalistic. Uh, this is, uh, in the U.S., which is far from perfect, uh, there are a lot of things people take for granted. And one of those things is the fact that you can stand up and you can talk in public and you can still, you know, live your life. Uh, in many cases, as long as you're not saying like, hey, let's get together and burn down the so-and-so. But that's not the case in many other places. Try that in Belarus, you know, try that publicly in Beijing. Try try that. See, see, see if the rules for Tiananmen Square today are the same as they were when the tanks rolled through. The answer is unfortunately mm. yes. Jesus. <sighs> so... Starting off the week on a high note here, everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> check out, there's a Reuters article posted to yesterday, November 21st, 2021, titled Democracy Slipping Away at Record Rate Intergovernmental Body Warns. Fun! Just really just puts the stuffing in the turkey for me. Uh, so, but again, like I'm saying, you're right. It is alarming to see this, but it's also stuff that we can kind of see with our eyes uh, and hear with our ears. And and it's just like we are we are living in a, a historical time of unrest um, and device division, you know. And I think a lot of what you're describing, Matt, is a manifestation of those divisions. It's all good, yeah. bro. Guy is going to silence us all real soon. Oh, yeah, that Mother Earth sketch on SNL is pretty funny. Earth is a super organism. That's another interesting episode. We'll we'll see what happens. But I've got to say, as, as we're closing out, um, the world is ending for someone every day. There hasn't ever really been a peaceful time in human no, history right. since it's human history began. But it's been cool for some people at some points in time, just not everybody at once. And that's the goal. That's where, you know, uh, that is that is when you win the game, I guess. Uh, for now, when you get that shopping spree at Nordstrom, when you get that shopping spree at Nordstrom. Oh, geez. But for now, uh, we're we're going to end today's segment. We've we've asked some questions that we would love to hear your take on. Uh, we would love to hear your ideas about the future of crowdsourcing crimes through social media. Uh, we'd love to hear your passwords. Send along uh, <laughs> with a list of your fears, your mother's maiden name, the first car you drove, the city you're born in. The last four digits of your social. And the last four mind. digits of your social, if you don't mind. Uh, and then tell us, in your opinion, the ideas of um, what a backslide from democracy is, what that means, how to combat it. Is it being alarmist? Is it accurate? And then also last, and perhaps this is most important, when you order guacamole at a ah, restaurant, should I was hoping it you were come with get there. chips or should it come by itself? Are you? Is it inherent in the purchase price that you are also getting chips? Not going to name names, but this is, uh, this is a matter of great importance. <laughs> this is a matter of great importance to us at the show. So please answer that question well, for us. And even more importantly, <laughs> yes. when Dave and Buster's finally does send some chips out to you because oh, they yeah. don't have servers anymore, they've just got Ooh. 
electronics that are supposed <laughs> to know where you ordered what you ordered. If they bring you a tiny bit of cheese dip, like with a your tiny, chips, t- tiny, a, t- tiny, a single amount. dip's worth <laughs> of cheese yeah, dip, yeah. should you morally send that back because you did not, in fact, order it? Or should you mm-hmm. just accept the cheese dip? I asked Delphi, actually. Yeah. The AI, Delphi. Yeah, Delphi. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Delphi. I thought you were referring to the yeah. Oracle of. No, no, no. The AI, yeah, 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 the, the less Oracle impressive. Of, yep, yep, yep. Uh, uh, with a new version of it. Uh, and they said it's good. Um, we've, also, we've also Were they referring been, to the cheese dip though or the action like I don't know unclear I tried to follow fan. up I tried to follow up but you know the uh, <laughs> we see as though through a mirror darkened I guess is the old line but boy do but, we ever but this is <laughs> but we want to hear your opinion on this I love that we're alluding to this at the end um, we also want to shout out everybody on Twitter who uh, wrote to us with their own I mean, this is more of a listener mail thing, but who wrote to us with their own experiments asking the Oracle. Uh, you can see those if you visit our Twitter handle where we are at Conspiracy Stuff. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, we love to shout out our Facebook page. Here's where it gets crazy. You can meet with your fellow conspiracy realists. The memes are good. The discussion is better. Uh, and you can also find us on Instagram where we are Conspiracy Stuff Show. But wait, you might be saying... Didn't you guys spend so much time telling me the dangerous, deleterious potential of social media? Aren't I supposed to be off it? How can I contact you? Because I have opinions about guacamole. Well, that's entirely up to you. Uh, But if you wish, you may also contact us via a telephone, old school telephone kind of situation. You can, I think even a rotary still works on it. It's 1-833-STDWITK. You can leave a message. You got three minutes. Let us know what to call you. Make up a cool nickname first name anonymous whatever we will respect your wishes and most importantly make sure you let us know if we can use your audio on the show and then you yes you might appear on one of our weekly listener mail episodes if you don't want to do any of that there's one final also somewhat old school way of contacting us you can send us a good old-fashioned email we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.